When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 550 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. It is Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. Welcome to November, ladies and gentlemen. It is the best month of the year to me because it's my birthday month, and I get 30 days to celebrate me being, I guess, another year older and more removed from Wait, wait, wait. What's the, the number? What, what's the number, baby? It'll be 41, but I have till the 30th. So my birthday's on the 30th, so we have a whole month you can celebrate my life and, and 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 how far I've come in this whole thing, but we're not going to do that in this show. 41. We have a lot you're so young, show. 40. You're so young. I'm 50. I feel like man. it. Oh, I feel like I'm young until I wake up in the morning and, and my knees feel like they're 97. But dude, I'm telling you, here nor there. around 48 or 50, you start to really notice it. You start to really yeah. notice it. Oh. I'm trying to get right now so that I don't have to do that then. But before we get into all the basketball stuff and not about me or, or me getting older i am donald wine i'm your host for this episode the other guy you heard jason evans jason how you doing i'm doing quite well sir we are we are in episode one of the post sam era and i just want to say if somehow you know we're doing a lot of episodes this week if somehow people missed the episode that we just did that dropped on tuesday where sam said goodbye uh it's a great episode because at least in my opinion it's a great episode because in his farewell address, and you can't call it anything but an address, address mm-hmm. Sam went back through the history of the DBR, the history of Duke basketball. There were some, there were some great, great moments in there and a lot of fun. Uh, this, this effort ain't going to be the same without him. Absolutely. And luckily, as we go through the schedule that I'm going to talk about, we're, we're going to be on, you know, in your feeds almost every single day for the next few days. And that will include... Sam coming back to do the stats game on Sunday. But before we do that, I just want to let everyone know in this episode, we're as, as I say, we're recording this on Wednesday. Duke's lone exhibition game for men's basketball is tonight against UNC Pembroke. That's 7 p.m. Eastern time on ACC Network Extra. We are not going to preview that game today, but we will have a full recap of the exhibition tomorrow. Also tomorrow, Thursday, Duke football takes the gridiron at home against Wake Forest. That's tomorrow night. Again, we will not preview that game, but we will recap that on Friday. We also will preview the season opener for Duke men's basketball, which will be on Monday against Dartmouth. That's coming on Friday. And then this weekend, we welcome back Sam for the stats game, one of the funnest shows of the season for us. And then, Jason, the basketball season begins on Monday, yeah. and we're off and running from there. So all that to say, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you have your feeds locked. If you are not subscribed to the show, if this is your first time, welcome hit that subscribe button because it is going to be used quite a bit over the next couple of days as we roll some content into your feed for you to enjoy because college basketball season is upon us. And speaking of college basketball, on Monday, as if you if you listen to episode 548, 
we had some great news drop during that episode as Cooper Flag committed to Duke. We we kind of didn't get a chance to fully have our reactions and also, you know, see some of the other reactions to Cooper Flag's commitment is seismic impact across college basketball. He is, you know, arguably one of the greatest prospects to ever come out of high school. And so, Jason, I'm going to start with you. Now that we have some more, I, I want to continue what we've learned, but also I just want you to first comment on some of the things that you've seen or, or things that you may have in your mind about Cooper flag committing to the blue devil. So take it away. So there are a couple interesting notes about Cooper flag. The first one is if you think we were hyped, if you think you're hearing a lot about this kid and you're like, come on, he's just another high school recruit, even a really good high school recruit. Like, yeah, we, we had Paolo, we had Paolo a couple of years ago and Duke gets number one recruits all the time and stuff. I, I want to give you some perspective. First of all, it's worth noting this. There are a whole bunch of major recruiting services and they all have different rankings. You know, who's number one, number two, all the other kind of stuff quite, quite often is different in different services. Cooper flag is just the sixth player since the year 2000. Again, just the sixth one since 2000 to be viewed as the top player in every major recruiting service. If you are ranking guys in the class of 2024, you're writing the letters F-L-A-G-G at the top of your rankings, and then you're moving on to something else. And Jason, that's considering that they were already doing that for him, but it was the class of 2025 that right, they were exactly. doing that for. And he reclassified in 2024, and they just copied and pasted his name, just shifted it right over to that class of 2024. If anything, there was more controversy in the class of 2025 because, right. because uh, of the Boozer Boys. And uh, and Cameron Boozer being up there at the top of the of the rankings alongside Cooper Flag, but uh, Cooper Flag, you know, he's sort of extended. There's there's a distance now between him and Cameron Boozer, and and again, Cooper is considered absolutely by everyone the top player in next year's class. It's worth noting, uh, it, folks, if you don't listen to Gary Parish and Matt Norlander, the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, it's an excellent podcast. They did an episode. It was about two-thirds of it was dedicated to Cooper Flagg. And one of the first things they did on that episode, they said, okay, let's say he was in college basketball this year. I want to repeat, he's not coming until next year. They said, let's say he was in college basketball this year, right now, playing for the Duke Blue Devils. They said, how would your top 100 players, where would he rank among all the players in college basketball this season? And remember, this is one of these years, there are a lot of experienced, really good players in college basketball. Kyle Filipowski is you know, widely considered like the fifth guy on all the, on the all American teams. Everyone has Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson. There are some really great players, experienced players in college basketball. Cooper flag, who would be at a minimum, at a minimum three years younger than all these guys. They said he'd be their number two prospect that Zach Eady dominant player, returning national player of the year, Zach Eady, a guy who's sort of single-handedly made Purdue into uh, you know, a number one seed. They said Zach Eady would be their number one player, best player in college basketball. And again, this has nothing to do with NBA draft rankings or anything like that. But if Cooper Flagg was in college basketball right now today, he'd be their second best player in college basketball. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's ridiculous. It's absurd to think about the fact that Cooper Flagg would be considered number one, number two in all of college basketball. And he's still in high school. Jason, that actually is a great segue to a point that I was going to make about this. 
when we had the initial reaction, right? Like Duke fans were obviously super excited, but you know who wasn't? It was UConn fans. A lot of them were super salty and super upset because they, in their mind, felt that they had a chance to land Cooper Flag and kind of you know sweep the rug out from underneath us. But Jason, the one thing that I have noticed is that there are sports fans, general sports fans who are not fans of Duke, maybe general fans of college basketball, who never there's there's a couple of them who really hate Duke. And every year they decide to look for someone on Duke to hate. And they thought that Cooper Flag was going to be that guy. They thought he was going to be the next Christian Leitner from a hatred standpoint. And then they saw his highlights and they go, damn, I can't hate on him. He's really, really good. This is one of those things where everyone is recognizing that Halloween just just ended, but it's about to be scary hours for college basketball because Cooper Flag is coming to Duke and a lot of people are not happy about it because of how good he is and the fact that he is one of the great players that could, you know, could be one of the great players in college basketball next year. Yeah. So uh, I just want to, again, as we discuss sort of expectations and things like that, Cooper flag, it's already, you know, it's already pretty much presumed that he will be a top candidate to be an all American. He will be probably the preseason favorite to win defensive player of the year in all of college basketball. If his perimeter shooting keeps improving, um, then, then he's probably going to be picked as the player of the year. Uh, it, it is extremely rare for a uh, for a a freshman to be picked, even even first team All American, let alone Player of the Year. If his perimeter shooter shooting keeps on improving this year, he's going to be the preseason Player of the Year in all of college basketball because he has a motor that absolutely never stops, and he impacts the game so much at both ends of the floor, you know, offense and defense. And you know, I, I think there's a little concern. I've heard from some people that because he reclassified up, you know, because he'll be, I believe he'll be just seven, uh, 17 or, or he won't even have turned 18. I think when he first enters, uh, when he first arrives at Duke, his birthday's in December. He'll be 18 because I believe he will turn 19 just in time for, uh, the draft. I don't know when his birthday is, but he's going to no, turn 19. Birth- so his birthday eligible is December. for the draft. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe because his birthday is December, I believe he'll turn 18 his freshman year at Duke and then would turn 19 during the year of the draft. I think that's, I, I could be wrong. I could be off by a year, but in any event, he will be very young. And there are a lot of people who are concerned that maybe he'll be biting off more than he can chew. This is a guy who's played for the most part against guys older than him, his entire career and has been dominant his entire career. And, and, you know, some people look to, what happened to Tyrese Proctor last year? Tyrese Proctor's season did not start out well for Duke last season. Remember, Tyrese Proctor reclassified up a year, arrived at Duke earlier than many people expected he would. And folks think, oh, because Tyrese Proctor struggled, maybe Cooper Flagg will have struggles. The huge difference there, of course, is that Tyrese Proctor didn't arrive at Duke till August. Cooper Flagg will be at Duke probably in April or May at the very, very latest, um, you know, when they begin assembling the team and beginning those summer workouts. And the other thing to remember is that Duke's had reclassification guys like this, even guys who reclassed late, who were great from day one. Marvin Bagley was a reclassification guy and literally came out of the out of the gate with uh, he had like 20 point, 20 plus point double doubles, like in his first two games at Duke. He had 30 points and 15 rebounds um, in that big tournament against Texas and Florida in November. Marvin Bagley hit the ground running and was immediately considered one of the best players in all of college basketball. Cooper Flagg, I think, is going to do the exact 
same thing. Last thing I have in this, Donald, just super quick, I want to talk about John Shire. Since taking over for Coach K, this is some stuff that I read about John Shire. John Shire has pulled in 10 five-star recruits. He brought in the number one class in 2022, the number two class in 2023. The guys that Duke currently has will be, I'm saying it right now, no question about it, will be the number one class in 2024. By the way, Duke, as we've noted, still isn't done. There are three very prominent five-star players that are still considering Duke in Patrick Ngongba, B.J. Edgecombe, and Dylan Harper. Now, I don't know that we're going to get all those guys, but if we did, then Duke's class of, and I don't, again, I don't think we will, but if we did, Duke's class of 2024 would be the highest rated recruiting class in history. That's what John Shire is doing. Jason, that actually, you know, I was going to lead to that because when we look at the impact that getting Cooper flag can be, it's not necessarily measured always on the basketball court. It could, and it may not be measured in what Cooper flag does. It could be measured in who's alongside him. And you mentioned that we already have the number one class. We have Isaiah Evans, Darren Harris, Con Knipple already coming in with him. You mentioned Edgecombe, you mentioned, uh, in Gongba, and you mentioned Dylan Harper. Now, Dylan Harper is the son of NBA great Ron Harper. Most people expect him to go to Rutgers, but like you said, Duke is still out there and trying to get him. And that leads me to a question that I want to pose to you. Now, normally, most years, you have those top players in, in any particular recruiting class that kind of want the shine. And to do that, they know that if, Jason, if you're the number one guy in the class and I'm the number two guy in the class, I'm not going to go where you're going because I want to be able to shine and not have to share the spotlight with another recruit. But we also saw in that class of 2018 where the top three guys in the class said, yo, let's all play together. Do you think Cooper flag changes the calculus on maybe approaching some of these guys to say, Hey, I want to play with Cooper flag, not against him. I mean, it's possible. I certainly think it's possible. And if, if you were looking at it in a vacuum, you know, if, if you weren't looking at it from the standpoint of who Duke has on the roster and will have on the roster likely next season, then I think you could see a lot of these guys being like, yes, I want to be around Cooper Flag because he makes his teammates better, and this is a really exciting thing to be a part of. Unfortunately, I think that it's, you know, it, it seems pretty likely that a number of the guys in Duke's current freshman class, a number of the guys who, you know, have been on the Duke roster now for a couple seasons, the ones who are not likely to be first-round picks, that they're going to come back, that there are NIL opportunities at Duke there is uh, cachet and prestige at being a part of Duke that's going to have these guys return. We only need to reflect on this past offseason when every team in the country was losing players to the to the transfer portal and Duke did not. There's something special about being at Duke. And, you know, if Jaden Shute is back, if Caleb Foster, Jared McCain, one of at least one of those guys is back, Mark Mitchell possibly could be back. Christian Reeves is probably back. Sean Stewart is probably back. TJ Power is probably back. If that's the case, you know, I think it's a lot harder for, uh, uh, you know, Harper and Edgecombe, who are guys who expect to play a lot wherever they go. It's a lot harder for them. I mean, if Dylan Harper, if for some reason Dylan Harper thinks that Jared McCain and Caleb Foster are both going to be back at Duke, then Dylan Harper looks at Duke and goes, Am I, you know, I don't mind competing, but competing to be a backup like that. That's a big ass for a guy who's been, you know, top five in his class since he was in diapers. 
<laughs> right. So, it was the number one guy in the class before right. Cooper Flag reclassified. Exactly. So I I I, I don't think it's going to happen. And 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 I think it's just because this Duke roster is so full. But but I'm the guy who would have told you there's no way Duke's getting Con Knuppel. You know, I, I was like, that's not how could that possibly happen given our roster? Uh, I probably would have said there's no way Duke's getting TJ Power. <laughs> we got him last year. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense given our roster. But John Charges continually is able to do this. The 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 cat the prestige of the Duke NIL program is able to do this. So I'm not putting anything past these guys. <laughs> and with John Shire, he's not only proven that he can get the top recruits, but he has proven that he can recruit them to stay additional years. Yeah. Right. Like we got four guys that come back that, you know, all four of them could have left last year. And he's in his biggest recruiting job was probably getting all of them to come back. So again, that's where I think maybe the calculus changes says, Hey, you know, not only can these guys maybe stay to play with Cooper Black, maybe we get one of these three guys that we're going after under the cell of, hey, you get to play alongside the best players of the nation. And in turn, you too will become one of the best players of the nation as part of a great team. And look, this is the Goldilocks scenario where Duke is so good. The roster is so deep that guys get a chance to play, but they say, you know what? I'm going to spend another year. I'm going to, I'm going to come back and and I'm going to, you know, boost my, my stock, my NBA stock, get some nice NIL money. And, and be part of something really special where I'm one of the leaders of that really special thing. That's what Tyrese Proctor, that's what Kyle Filipowski, that's what Mark Mitchell all decided in the offseason. And, you know, it looks like Duke's going to have that same kind of thing happen again. You're reeling in five-star recruits, some of whom are one and done. Cooper Flagg going to be, I want to be clear about something. Cooper Flagg will be a one and done prospect. He is not coming back to Duke for multiple years. <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, but at the same time, You've got really, really great recruits who who understand, hey, I'm probably here for a couple of years. And they're fine with that. And they're good with that. This is this is the scenario that I think that because of NIL not being there, Coach K was never quite able to get to this scenario. And and now we really have God, remember Donald, remember how excited we were that Grayson Allen came back? <laughs> right. Now we're getting now we're getting three Grayson Allens, four Grayson Allens, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's and that's why, man, it is it is a great time to be a Duke fan, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, for the rest of college basketball, I hope you have your fun now. Because like I said, Halloween's extended. Scary hours are upon us. Cooper Flag is coming to Duke, and we are very excited about that. We're going to leave it there. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, ACC football. We have a new schedule rotation. We'll, find, we'll, we'll tell you about that. And also, Louisville, why they may be on pace to be terrible. Again, stay tuned. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that 
stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We are back here on the DBR podcast and we shift to football for just a few minutes because uh, yesterday ACC has dropped a new rotation of scheduling for the conference schedule for all now 17 football teams that will compete starting next year. Of course, with the addition of Cal, Stanford and SMU, it prompted changes in how the ACC conducts its scheduling for conference games. Now, I want to start by saying that what was not necessarily expected, but kind of surprising to me is that the ACC is sticking with eight game conference scheduling. A lot of teams, a lot of these conferences with the addition of teams, they've started to move to nine and maybe some are even considering 10 game conference seasons. But with the ACC, they are sticking with eight games and they are figuring out a schedule on how to rotate Cal Stanford and SCU into it. So the way that it's working and we're just going to focus on Duke right now is first of all, the conference is protecting 16 annual matchups for the next seven years. And Duke is a part of three of them, Duke UNC, Duke NC State, and Duke versus Wake Forest. So the great thing is for, for you fans of Tobacco Road, Duke will face UNC, NC State, and Wake continue to do play them for the next seven years, every single year. NC State and Wake are going to be on the same like rotation with each other. So as of like for next year in 2024, Duke will face NC State and Wake Forest on the road, North Carolina at home, and then that will flip every single year moving forward. Looking at Duke versus the three teams that are entering the conference, because, I mean, we, we face some of the same teams in, in ACC. We all need to focus on the ones we already do face. We will welcome SMU to Durham next year for the first time. But the funny thing is, is we won't see them again until 2030 when we go on the road uh, to Dallas to face SMU. Now, the way they're doing the California teams is that one team, if you go to face them on the road, they will not, you will not see them again on the road for a couple of seasons. So what that means is in 2025, we will head to California for the first time to face the Cal Bears, but then we come back and we will face Stanford at home in 2026. We will then go on the road in 2027 to go to Stanford, but we will not see Stanford at home until 2030 we do actually see both california teams in 2029 when we host stanford and we fly to berkeley to face cal on the road i know that's a little bit confusing jason but i want to get your thoughts <laughs> on this because right in, <laughs> yeah it the basically what it's set up to be is that no team in the current acc is going to have to fly out to california two t two years in a row but at the same time it almost feels like at least in the case of duke they're not really getting 
you know, is really business as usual with the addition of the occasional Stanford Cal in cases SMU. We see him next year, but we don't really see him until the end of this rotation. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I don't have a ton about this. The one thing I will say is that I kind of like that Duke got all, you know, the other the other North Carolina schools as as permanent partners. I think that's good for us for a couple reasons. First of all, obviously, it's more fun to be laying these teams where we run into their fans and, and their players every day. But the other reason is it makes Duke's schedule a little more predictable and perhaps a little bit easier. Um, look, I'm not saying that, that UNC, Wake, and NC State are bad. I mean, UNC's been very good for a while. Wake's been fairly decent. NC State certainly had good seasons. But, but it feels to me like, look, anytime you're finding a way to sort of limit the number of times that Duke's going to play Florida State, Clemson, Miami, who frankly to me are the, the three teams in the conference that on a year-to-year basis feel like they're probably you know going to be at the top of the league, I, I, I think that's a good thing. I already know it's an eight-game schedule, Donald, and I already know three of the games every single year. And they, again, for the most part, aren't crazy hard, crazy difficult games for Duke. And so I sort of like that from a scheduling standpoint for, for Duke to get, you know, more wins and <laughs> and, and more chances to, to make the ACC championship and, and impressive bowl games. And then the other thing is, I mean, gosh, so Duke only has five games each season where we don't know who the opponent is. And there are, what is it, 14 other teams in the or 13 other teams in the league that are not part of this little rotation we're in. I mean, how am I supposed to develop any sense, any interest in Duke versus SMU, Duke versus Virginia Tech, for that matter, Duke versus Boston College, when we're playing them once every three or four years? It... it I know expansion had to happen. It makes a lot of sense. I get all the financial realities behind it, and I'm not going to argue against them. But in terms of having an emotional connection to who the football team is playing, I'm sorry. Playing someone every three, four years doesn't give me that connection. I think the connection that you mentioned is going to be formed in the basketball court because we will play those teams every year. Maybe we, I don't know how that rotation is going to end up, but it's, clear we're not going to go to california every year we're not going to go to smu every year we'll we will see them at least once but i I think when it comes to the football it's hard to do without expanding the number of conference games i think that was where i thought it was surprising and i figured that the conference would say hey in an effort to get more of these you know games where you see some of these teams more often and develop some of those rivalries and connections that we would see more games and also for the ACC, that means more TV revenue that they can then promote to, to broadcasters. So uh, I was very interested or surprised to see that they didn't do that. But having said that it, it just, for me, it feels like business as usual. Like I said, without, with the random addition every now and then of one of these three teams that are being uh, introduced next year on the football field, at least I think where we will see some of the rivalries develop will be in, you know, basketball where we, again, both men and women will see them every single year. So we will see, you know, moving forward, how it works for, for basketball. But for now we do have the football schedule again next year, just for, if you're keeping track at home next year, we will play at home against Florida state, North Carolina, SMU and Virginia tech, and then away to Georgia tech, Miami, NC state and wake Forest. So 
you have your 24, 2024 at least opponents ready. The schedule will come out much later. Let's move on because I did want to uh, end with another conference opponent who on the basketball court has not been doing great. And that is the Louisville Cardinals. Jason, uh, they just had a, they just had a game last uh, the other day against uh, Kentucky Wesleyan. You know what? You tell them what happened. So uh, Louisville, a member of the ACC, a team that has won multiple national titles in college basketball, a team that the ACC and everyone widely expects to be a perennial top tier kind of basketball program. I mean, you could book Louisville for a top 25 season for 20 plus 30 plus years. They played division two Kentucky Wesleyan. I want to be clear about Kentucky Wesleyan. They're not even a really good division two team. They were picked near the bottom of their conference. Final score was 71 to 68. Kentucky Wesleyan beat Louisville. I want to be clear about something. College basketball analytics told me that there are 68 games this year between division one teams and teams from like division two or three NAIA, you know, smaller, smaller division teams, 68 games. There have been only four division one teams to lose to those smaller uh, division teams. Oakland lost to Walsh. I don't even know where Walsh is. My bet is it's somewhere near Oakland. Tennessee Tech lost to Texas Southern. St. John's, Rick Patino, what's going on? St. John's lost to Pace. And Florida State lost to Kentucky Wesleyan. In Louisville, this game, Louisville. I'm sorry, not Florida State, Louisville. I'm so sorry. Louisville lost to Kentucky Wesleyan. I don't know how, why I said Florida State there. My bad. Uh, in, in any event, in this game, Kentucky Wesleyan, which is not a big team, <laughs> not like a team full of seven-footers, they out-rebounded the Cardinals 47-33, to 33, including 16 offensive rebounds. They won second chan chance points 18-2. to two. And it wasn't like Kentucky Wesleyan had some, you know, out-of-their-body shooting experience. They only hit 36% of their shots. A Division II team, a bad Division II team, beat Louisville, hitting just 25% of their threes. I mean, this is this is a real problem. You may remember that last year, Louisville lost to a Division II team in the preseason last year as well, on their way to a season where Louisville went 4-28. and 28. Well, I'm here to tell you that I think Kenny Payne, the head coach at Louisville, who seems like a good guy, he was a great recruiter at Kentucky when he was by John Calipari's side, you know, seems like a, a guy who's trying and doing his best. I'm just going to tell you right now, Kenny Payne cannot coach. Maybe it's the X and O's. Maybe he doesn't connect with his players. Whatever it is, he is in way over his head. Unless something amazing happens to turn things around, Louisville is going to cut him loose at the end of this season, if not sooner. Look, I, I'm, I'm not firing him myself, but I do want you to know that his contract, his contract calls for a buyout of $8 million at the end of this year. And I think Louisville is going to go ahead and do that because – They'd have to pay him three and a half million dollars to to keep on to keep on coaching, uh, and, and they're they're just not gonna they're not gonna keep on paying him three point three five million dollars per season when they can get rid of him for just eight. Um, his buyout, by the way, contains all kinds of weird stipulations in it, like bonuses for making the NCAA tournament, winning coach of the year, and stuff like that. I don't think they need to worry about any of that stuff. I mean, Nolan Smith is on his staff. Nolan Smith is Kenny Payne's top assistant. I hope Nolan's polishing up his resume. Cause I just think, I think Louisville is in 
the ACC wants to be better than they have been in recent years. Having Louisville return to national prominence as part of that, Kenny Payne is not getting the job done. And it's it's a real it's a real problem for the conference. When you look at Louisville right now, at least according to the ACC voters, they're expected to do better, Jason. They're expected to be second to last in the conference. The only team they rated lower was Notre Dame, who, as we've mentioned, Mike Bray is is no longer the coach there after 23 years. And so, how bad must Notre Dame be? If, <laughs> if yeah, oh, I mean, they lost J.J. Starling, but like it, it's still it's still one of those like, I don't know which, what Notre Dame team we're going to have because for the first time in 24 years, they're asking themselves that very question. But when you look at Louisville's schedule, there's also not a lot of opportunities for them. They have some, you know, decent teams. They have a couple of good opponents that they'll have. They they play Texas in the Empire Classic. They could also play UConn in that same pre uh preseason or uh, sorry, early season tournament. They face Kentucky as a non-conference game as well. Obviously, Kentucky Louisville, big rivalry game. But Jason, last year, you mentioned their record, four and twenty-eight. They were so bad that they're not even participating in the first ever ACC SEC challenge because they're the worst team in the ACC. And they only need 14 teams to compete. There's no room for them. And so they always go with the worst team in Louisville is that Louisville does not want to be in that situation. But they really need to improve because they're, I mean, when you look at their ACC schedule, it's tough. They, They go to Miami. They go to UNC. They face Duke twice. They go to UVA. They actually face UVA twice. And so some of these games... They're going to have to really, I mean, the non-conference schedule is super important for them because if they get on a, you know, on a run of pity like they did last year where they, I think it was December when they first won a game, they're in for a really rough season. And I think Louisville, like you said, Louisville Cardinal fans are not going to stand for that. So at least for no one's sake, I hope that Louisville can at least turn around and, and, you know, get off the snide, not be terrible this year, maybe just be mediocre, show some improvement, because like you said, it does help the conference to have Louisville in the national picture. We don't expect them to be in a national picture this year, but we at least need them to get on that path where we can kind of say, oh, look, this Louisville team is an issue and improvement, and maybe they're going to be a force down the road. But it's going to be hard when they don't have a really great class coming in. They lost L. Ellis, uh, who who left the program. So it, it's, it's one of those things where we don't know where that source of success is coming from, but they need to find it pretty quickly. Well, and I'll tell you something. You mentioned the non-conference schedule. I'm not worried about the game against Texas. I'm not worried about the game against Kentucky, you know, potential game against UConn. They're, not, they're probably not going to end up playing UConn. I'm worried about their games against really bad teams. Louisville's got to win those games for the ACC. If they lose to the power conference teams they play, okay, you know, that, that's not the end of the world. But if they start losing a lot of games to smaller conference teams, which is what they did last year, you know, if they fall into the 200s in the Ken Palm and the net ratings and stuff like that, that drags down the entire ACC, and it's it's a real problem when that happens. Their their non-conference schedule, real quickly, they face UMBC, Chattanooga, Coppin State. I mentioned the Empire Classic, New Mexico State, Bellarmine. They go on the road to DePaul, Arkansas State, Pepperdine, and then they, of course they end their non-conference slate by hosting Kentucky in that in that big rivalry for the Bluegrass State. So, yeah, I. I I see places where there should be wins, but we said that last year and last year started off just, it just got off the rails and and hopefully this season does not get off the rails at the jump from them. Because if it does, like I said, they kind of entered a free fall last year that they couldn't get out of. They can't 
they can't afford to do that again this year. Hey, by the way, I want to mention something. You know, I talked earlier about Division One teams playing smaller Division teams and only four Division One teams losing those games. Florida State had a close call the other night. They're playing Flagler, which is a non-Division One team. The game was tied at 71 with six minutes left. If you look at the final score, Florida State pulled away. They ended up winning by 16. They they like they they won the final six minutes of the game, 19 to thir- 19 to three. So the final score looks okay for Florida State, but they were in a real dogfight with Flagler. Again, tied at 71 with six minutes to go. Donald, do you know who one of the star players is for Flagler? Arguably their best player? No. His name is Kyle Young. He is Ryan Young's younger brother. He had 11 points and a team-high eight rebounds against Florida State. Shout out to the entire Young family. Shout out especially to Kyle Young. Kyle, we're watching you, baby. Nice job. If if Kyle Young appears on the Brotherhood podcast, the head of that Florida State game, I won't be surprised. Um, <laughs> yeah, give he, a little scout. Come on with he, your brother. Give us a yeah, little might, scout. Yeah, he, he might know a guy it. who can get on that show and, and provide some intel. Uh, into the Seminoles, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that will be, man, first of all, shout out to, shout out to, to the young family, all of them. Um, they're all great. Uh, but yeah, I, I think when it comes to Louisville to bring a full circle, they prove the biggest point. Do not lose your exhibition game, which is what Duke has tonight at 7 PM. So we should not lose that game. I know we just had a whole thing about them doing Oh it. man, did we just jinx ourselves? I, I don't think so. No, no, I'm not, <laughs> we're not jinxing it. Let's play well. Hopefully they do well. Again, they just had the scrimmage against Villanova. May that serve as a springboard uh, for the rest of the season, how they how they perform there, which we were told was well. Uh, let's hope that is a springboard for tonight. But we'll leave it here in episode 550 of the DBR podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Again, for Jason Evans, I am Donald Wine. It is now time for the Duke band to play us out and take us home. So, so wait, by the way, you got to hear how busy my schedule is starting next week. I mean, I know that the season will begin for Duke. And so uh, th- this is the time of year when I'm seeing all the movie screenings because oh, yeah. it's time for us to vote. It's for time awards. for move for like Golden Globes and stuff. Oh, my God. I-, I mean, so next week on Monday, I have two screenings. On uh, Tuesday, I'm seeing the Marvels. On nice. Wednesday, I've got another screening. And then the following week, I've got one day. Uh, so I'm seeing Maestro on Monday. I've got a day where I'm seeing Napoleon and Saltburn on the same day. I've got a day that I'm seeing Poor Things. I'm seeing Wish. Even if you don't know what those movies are, all those <laughs> these are all the award contenders. <laughs> right. And I'm seeing like two and three of them a day sometimes. It is going to be insane. And, I, and, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I got Duke basketball games like almost every one of these days as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Next oh. week is going to be. Fun. We're going to get into. I, I mean, like you have the game on Monday. We recap it on Tuesday morning, and you're kind of thinking, "Oh, great!" But then you're like, "Oh no, Wednesday we got to preview the next game, which is a right, big we one." Preview Arizona, and then and then also like we, we may talk some UNC football. You know, Duke UNC football. There's like a bunch of stuff that we can talk about in this. You know, in this coming week, where just kind of like, and then after that, you're just like, Champions Classic. Let's go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's busy, but it's fun. It's was well, one of those things where you just we're gonna get a routine. We're just gonna like it's gonna feel like we just you know throw our head in the pillow, wake back up, 
basketball right. time basketball time <laughs> i love it